0: Hey, it's Lily, ready to deliver a third season of A Therapist Walks Into a Bar. Some of you have let me know that this show has helped you feel less alone in the world, more connected to yourself, and more connected to others. If you have felt that positive impact in your life, and you want to help more people feel that too, please consider supporting the show through my new Patreon page. Patreon allows me to connect with listeners like you who love what you're hearing and want to make sure all the good stuff keeps coming your way. So patrons to the show get extra stuff like participating in the creation of special songs made just for backers, getting your name on the website or in the credits, and possibly even a badly hand-drawn portrait of you by me. Visit patreon.com slash a therapist walks into a bar to learn more about setting up a monthly contribution of $5, $10, you know, whatever amount works for you. You can also find the link at a therapist walks into a bar.com. And now the show. I guess, you know, most a lot of people talk about defense mechanisms. And I'm just wondering if that's like a term that you use or something you hear about.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely.
0: So, There's all this stuff that makes us uncomfortable, sad, angry, scared, hurt. And it's happening all the time, both physically and emotionally. And what do you usually do? I'm guessing you try to make the bad feelings stop.
2: It's the moments when I'm looking to disengage from whatever the threat might be.
0: For decades, the field of psychology has been interested in understanding the myriad creative strategies we employ to cope with all this discomfort. But right now, I wonder if I can convince you that your defense mechanisms might be the key to knowing who you are as an individual and who we are as a collective. And maybe, just maybe, the ways we defend ourselves against the things that scare us are unfairly getting a bad rap.
3: Right, well maybe we can kind of reframe that a little bit. Sometimes I think people hear like defense mechanisms as somebody saying to them, you're just being defensive, which is kind of like an accusatory, um, I don't know, sort of what we say when we get into arguments, you know. So we all actually have defenses.
0: I'm Lily Sloan, and this is A Therapist Walks Into a Bar. On a sunny California winter Sunday afternoon, on the patio of a bar in Oakland, I met up with my friend and colleague.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm Molly Merson and I'm a psychotherapist in Berkeley. In
0: an attempt to lay out all the defense mechanisms, Molly and I did what most experts would do. We took out our phones and did some Googling.
3: ...husband signs of love and affection. Oh, okay, so yeah, it's like an overcompensation. Overcompensation, Overcompensation. exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, wait, that list did not have denial. It didn't. If you search for lists of defense mechanisms, you're really not going to find any two that look exactly alike. Since Freud, we've coined a whole slew of terms to describe specific types of defenses, and you probably will recognize some of them. Denial. Regression. Acting out. Dissociation. Devaluation. Splitting. Compartmentalization. Projection. Reaction. Formation repression, displacement, intellectualization, rationalization, undoing, sublimation, compensation, asserting, And there's also fantasy. a lot of language out there that talks about which defenses are healthy or unhealthy, or which ones are more mature or, quote, primitive. But I think all of that can sometimes sound a bit judgy, No matter how mature you are, you can use any of these defenses at different times for different reasons.
3: Emotions are overwhelming sometimes for all of us. Um, Even for an infant, the sense of hunger could potentially just be so completely overwhelming, right? Uh, So could something like a car accident. You get into a car accident and, you know, you might have to repress whatever that experience was in order to continue to go about your life. There's just some stuff that we can't really process without going a little bit crazy or a lot crazy. And so our minds are actually working really hard to try and get us to an equilibrium, and sometimes that means leaving certain things out.
0: Like how we might avoid talking about death.
3: To come to terms with your own mortality while you're still living and thriving is like, what? (laughs) So we don't think about it very much, and we use something like distraction or whatever uh, to kind of, you know, go about our lives. So the idea of, like, a healthy defense, I mean, in a way it's all healthy, right? Like, your mind is trying to help you get through your life sometimes some of the ways that the defenses manifest can actually really hurt us but sometimes they hurt us less and then we would feel hurt to come in t- contact with the trauma uh-huh. so that's where it's like I don't know you know yeah the healthy defenses is kind of like says who yeah. you know like who's the healthy police I uh-huh. <laughs> kind of wonder
0: So I'm not going to define every defense mechanism. There are so many, but when I went to the Wooden Nickel, a bar in San Francisco near my therapy office, a few common defenses came up in the conversations I was having. Starting with me trying to figure out if the tater tots I was eating were enough to constitute a meal. Spoiler alert! They were not. I hope I have time for taco before I go, but I guess I guess uh, tater tots make a, a balanced dinner, right?
2: Put the same number in each hand, as if to as if to juggle with them, maybe. Right, right,
0: yeah, that's how a balanced meal works. Yeah. What my very complicit friend was helping me with there is rationalizing. Okay, we were definitely kidding, kind of, but most of us do this a lot. Sometimes we're conscious of it, sometimes not so much. For instance, let's say a package delivered to me from a very large online retailer. We could call them Shmamazon. It doesn't show up, so I contact Shmamazon, who then proceed to resend the item. But then the original shipment shows up too. It turns out my next-door neighbor accidentally got it. But rather than telling Shmamazon about it, I just keep the duplicate because, you know, they're a massive company and they do all kinds of unethical stuff, so like, screw them. As if my passive stealing is actually rooted strongly in my values. I kind of know it's BS, but returning the thing would be such a pain. So I find a way to rationalize the decision I've already made. When I asked one guy about his defense mechanisms, he described how he sometimes responds when a person gives him feedback that he doesn't really want to hear.
1: Ignoring people is definitely one, or feigning acceptance in a way. I'm like, yeah, of course, sure, totally. But I'm like, actually, fuck you, I'm not going to do that at all.
0: When you fake it on the outside, what are you doing on the inside to cope with whatever you're, is just going on?
1: Telling myself that I'm right or that I know better, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need this person's opinion. I'm fine. Like you're,
0: you, you kind of like dismiss the value of what they have to Absolutely. say. Yeah, yeah. So this one is so common. It's called devaluation, and Molly and I talked about this too. Basically, devaluation
3: is like when you really, really want something. Like, uh, I really, really wanted to win first prize for my art project but you won third prize or you won nothing and you go, Psh, I, I didn't really want that anyway.
0: <laughs> that contest is totally dumb and rigged and yeah. it's not even like the really important one in the art world and those judges are idiots. Exactly.
3: And I mean, so you can understand then how a defense mechanism is actually a protection against huge amounts of, of unpleasure, as Freud would say, right? Like, like that would really be disappointing to lose something that you really, really wanted. So to mitigate that. It's like, I didn't really want it anyways.
0: Sound familiar? No? Well, don't worry if that one doesn't fit you. We've got so many more to choose from. Let me just check my inventory. Oh, right, intellectualization.
1: I was always raised to be really logical. It's just like how my mother was. She's like, this
2: means this. I'll try to think forward. I'll be like, okay, this is happening, or this has happened. What next? Like, what do I or what do we do to progress from this moment?
0: So intellectualizing is about using our brains to solve problems, getting up in our heads about it, rather than feeling the feelings. Like every person I spoke with at the bars, Molly told me she also intellectualizes. She's been going right to using her brain to make sense of things since she was pretty young.
3: I was always very smart and so I could always think about something. It's, it's actually a huge part of who I am and I really love that about myself. So when I was young, like in my teens and 20s, that was probably my biggest defense mechanism because it was so soothing. Because so I would have these really intense emotions and not know what to do with them, but I could think about it, so I could work it out that way.
0: So yeah, you can see how great it is to be able to think things through. But Molly says sometimes this does go too far. Like sometimes thinking instead of feeling became the only choice because at some point she learned to be afraid of the feelings. And when that happens, Molly says,
3: I know I'm leaving a huge part of myself out and that makes me sad. So I want to be able to bring in all of myself into my life because that's how it gets to be the richest life I could possibly live.
0: You might feel like your defenses are working great for you. Like this guy who has all kinds of ways of keeping himself out of conflict. Do you feel like there's been any downsides to that strategy?
2: Um, hmm.
1: Not really, no. If anything, has actually been positive. 100% positive. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's great. But
0: more likely, your defenses are a mixed bag. Like the way my friend will get quiet and go inside himself to try to sort through an experience he's having with the people around him instead of telling the other people involved how he's feeling. This may help maintain the peace, but he's finding that something else gets lost.
2: I, I think you know the, the negative consequence of that is that that skips over giving myself the space to, to be emotional. It's not that I deny what I'm feeling inside, but I certainly don't, you know, I skip over communicating that in the rawest way in favor of wanting a constructive solution.
0: By keeping it all inside himself, ultimately,
2: people don't necessarily fully know, what I, know how I feel, or often I'm not expressing what do I actually want. But what I'm thinking in the moment, if I'm having an argument with a friend or anyone, or if I'm frustrated by a family member, I'm being like, well, this is someone I have a relationship with. I don't want that relationship to be ended. Uh, I think I flip to some quite uh, fatalist extremes. I'm like, well, if I allow this to escalate, then, you know, what if it breaks?
0: Yeah, what if it breaks? Often this fear is at the heart of how we try to cope with the uncertainty in our relationships with others. We know, on some level at least, we depend on our relationships to survive. We're social creatures. So losing others becomes an existential threat. Ironically, this will actually lead us to act in ways that keep us a bit distanced from others or from ourselves in order to preserve the relationship.
2: Yeah, I will put myself second. I will will come to a very quick reaction, conclusion that the mere fact that this interaction is happening means that I should be invested in protecting the underlying relationship rather than expressing myself.
0: Defense mechanisms can present as really wonderful qualities in us, and we shouldn't be too quick to write them off as foibles or even worse, character defects. At the same time, they can be really limiting, holding us back from a fuller emotional experience of our lives. We
3: all have defense mechanisms. That's actually part of what helps us survive. So we also want to think about when you're in a position to be able to do more than survive, then that might be a good opportunity to start to investigate what those defense mechanisms are. Just again, so that you can uh, decide whether you want to keep them or not. And if you do want to keep them, do you want to modify them in some way? Also, do the defense mechanisms tell you something about yourself that you might not have known about yourself, or you might not have felt too afraid to know about yourself?
0: Stepping back from trying to categorize our defenses as bad or good, we get to a much more fascinating question. What can our defenses tell us about ourselves? I asked myself this question 10 years ago. Walking to catch the bus, I had an experience of one of my go-to defenses, fantasy. I was 23 and I didn't live in the city yet. I'd never even spent much time in a city. And still adjusting to commuting to San Francisco for school, I was walking through the South of Market neighborhood, and I noticed a little question about my safety lead me down this rabbit hole. It started with, what if I got shot right now? From there, I imagined being in the hospital and family and friends, loved ones, exes, gathering around to love me, apologizing for anything mean they ever did or said. And suddenly I caught myself, like waking up from a dream. And I decided to ask a different question. What am I feeling right now that I'm having this fantasy? And my immediate response, I'm afraid I'm not lovable. If I was in trouble, Would anybody care? I felt the very familiar sensations of sadness and grief. Eyes welling up with tears. While at the same time attention was lifted, I felt and acknowledged my pain. And then I just kind of moved on with my day. Because of this experience, I know that when fantasy takes over, there are deeper emotions I need to address. It's been really useful. End scene. Just kidding. That's not how it works. Yes, this has been useful, but those aha moments are often later replaced with new layers of understanding, which literally happened during my interview with Molly. I told her this story, and what she said blew the lid off this whole thing. I
3: believe that people have unconsciouses, and there is a field of unconscious material out there that you can be picking up on at any given time, that can be group oriented, it can be socially oriented, so like you're walking down Mission Street, and there's so much unconscious material, there's so much going on there, because of all the different people who live there on the streets, or in the SROs, or in and the, lo- the you know, million dollar loft:
0: See, Western psychology has been so focused on the individual for such a long time that we've often neglected how our unconscious experiences are connected to the world around us.
3: So I see fantasy or reverie as, as a way of connecting. And in fact, it's in my work quite a lot. It's in my daily life quite a lot. But I, I used to think of it as something that was just personal but I'm coming to understand that it isn't. That we have a social unconscious, um, and so we have social defenses. Like if we were to imagine our, our social structure right now, what are the defenses of our social structure? Like money is a big one, denial is a big one.
0: And I've heard people talk about you know our culture having am more of a manic defense. So like a, I'm going to do 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 in response to fear of death or whatever it might be. Like I'm like I'm going to not age and I'm going to you know control my body and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make more money. So I want to have- pause here because I imagine you've heard the word manic used to describe someone with bipolar disorder maybe having some kind of manic episode. But manic can also describe a feeling state of being frenetically busy or frantic. And this is an experience I think most of us have had. And when we look at our culture, there really is this kind of frantic busyness and filling our lives up with stuff that can serve to distract us from things that are too painful to face.
3: I, I have a suspicion that it has a lot to do with racism. The manic sort of do, 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 get more, get more is like a running away from the kind of injustice that has like, created this entire country and the way that it's been built on black bodies and brown bodies who have not been fairly compensated to reconcile that again with this like, things don't match up inside my mind, so I have to repress something. That proximity to I could lose everything is so real here that Manic Defense is all about. Accumulate and do more and be more, and that's capitalism in the way that we do it here anyways.
0: This is something, as a society, we're having to examine a lot more closely. How have we treated people of color? How have we treated women? How have we treated immigrants? Anyone different? In order to maintain our own standing. And if you've been on the receiving end of those defenses from people with power and privilege, you've probably been aware of what's happening, at least on some level, for a really long time. So back to my fantasy. It seems like a strong possibility... That I was tapping into a fear that's not just my own, but something present in our larger social unconscious. The fantasy was both a distraction from the anxiety I was feeling about this, and at the same time, it actually was a potential way in.
3: Because I think too about like the way our society is structured at the moment, where If you don't accumulate, let's say you lose everything, no one will be there. No one will visit you in the hospital after you've been shot.
0: Along with that kind of manic defense against slowing down and looking at what we're actually doing, Molly says denial, which is an incredibly powerful defense mechanism, factors into how we carry this stuff around in our social unconscious. The field of epigenetics is trying to understand if traumatic events like the Holocaust have affected the DNA in survivors in such a way that symptoms of that trauma are actually inherited. Some really interesting studies are suggesting that this may really be true, though results are still inconclusive. But it's still fairly obvious to me that our trauma impacts how we interact with one another how we raise our children, and how our children raise their children. If you believe in this idea that we're all interconnected, like one big organism, then our defense mechanisms may not just be our own. We might be responding to intergenerational trauma, systemic oppression or privilege, culturally transmitted ideas about what's safe and what's dangerous, what's acceptable to feel and what's not.
3: I would caution against anyone feeling like they have to tear down their defense
0: mechanisms. Our defenses are truly keeping us safe. Sometimes they once served a purpose, and we do them out of habit, even though they aren't really working anymore. It's just that changing is hard and scary. In movies or television, and this is really a big one, in reality TV, we see people have big, cathartic experiences. Maybe someone delivers some tough love that wakes a person up. Or a previously highly defended person has a big emotional breakdown and they're changed forever. There are even self-help programs out there that promote this sort of approach to change. But this can be kind of dangerous.
3: I think in terms of assembling a self and getting in contact with yourself, you need to be able to have consent at every part of the process and some of that kind of thing where it's all about breaking down your defenses. You I and from my perspective, you lose an element of consent because you can't you can't consent to something in the beginning before you know what it's going to be. You have to be able to consent all along the way. And whenever a patient tells me something like no, I don't see that or no, you're wrong or whatever, I'm like that's actually you telling me no. That's saying you don't consent to this element of this process, so I'm going to back off. That doesn't mean I have to change my mind, It just means like, cool, you're giving me some edge here. And that's how we develop a self as an edge, is creating our own edges and finding out where they are. And I think investigating defense mechanisms can be super useful in finding out where our edges are, finding out where our pain is, and then being able to heal that.
0: Change usually comes in the form of first understanding and then having these little experiences of trying out another way, over a long, 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 long period of time. Like, I recognize I'm doing my fantasy thing. I understand more about what's going on there. I can even appreciate how it serves me sometimes. And then I can ask myself if I want to try something different in this moment. Sometimes the answer will be, yeah, I do. Other times it'll be, "Mm, no, I'm good. And over time, we develop more tolerance for other experiences that might have felt threatening in the past or other ways of being we just didn't even know were a thing. I've definitely been
1: working on that. Just like, I'm sad, and today I'm just going to like let myself be sad. Like, there's not really anything I can do to fix it today.
0: What made you decide that that was something that you wanted to work on?
1: Um, I got a really bad DUI and had to go to rehab, and I actually learned it in rehab. So, But it's really good. It's actually really great. Just like sitting with your feelings and like, accepting how you feel.
0: Like my friend earlier, this guy also bumped up against the limitations of a purely intellectual understanding of himself.
1: If someone hadn't introduced the idea of, like, sitting with your feelings, I probably would have kept trying to logic my way out of them. Um, But I guess I do both to some degree now. Uh,
0: Is there anything else that you want to say about your defense mechanisms?
1: I can be a real bitch sometimes. (laughs) Um, I don't know. There's something I'm working on also. I probably can't even list all of them. I probably don't even know I'm doing them sometimes. Um, But they're just a way to keep me from feeling things that I may not want to feel, but sometimes it's probably better to just feel those things and acknowledge them.
0: This episode was produced by me, Lily Sloan, and edited by Emily Shaw, with additional editorial support from Ruben Lee and Keith Mencuni. Music and sound design also by me. Thank you, Molly Merson, for pondering this topic with me. You can learn more about Molly's work and read her fantastic blog at mollymerson.com. And you can get links to all these fantastic people at atherapistwalksintoabar.com. Thank you to the strangers and friends at the bar who talked with me about their defense mechanisms and to the Wooden Nickel in San Francisco for letting me hang out with my microphone. Please subscribe to A Therapist Walks Into a Bar and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's going to help more listeners find the show. To stay in the loop, go to atherapistwalksintoabar.com and sign up for the newsletter. While you're there, you can easily become a patron of the show by clicking become a patron or by visiting patreon.com slash a therapist walks into a bar. Many gifts await you. And speaking of gifts, here's a little bonus discussion about how Superman got his powers. I I am
2: something of a comic book nerd, but my assumption, my understanding with the various iterations of Superman's origin story is the you know it, it sort of develops like it like it does in puberty so it's kind of like sort of a little bit like when your voice breaks and it's sort of like you know while that's happening it'll sometimes catch you out you're like mm, ah! and uh, i think it's like i think it's a a little bit like that but you know with like massive massive abs
0: so, in a way, it, it isn't just gradual, it can be kind of sudden, like when you're like, oh, that hair was not there before. Yeah,
2: I think it, but you know, obviously he's Superman, so everything's happening that little bit faster. Right, right.